Descalzo. Are you one of millions of people looking for relaxation, relief, creativity, and happiness? Well, here's a tip. First, delete Twitter from your phone. Then go to bloomfarmcbd.com. And they promised me that you would get 20% off your order when you use the promo code BALDFREAK at checkout. Why do I endorse Bloom Farms? Well, on the way to do this podcast interview, I was stressing out. Monkeys got loose at the circus where I work, and I was late. Any loyal listener of this podcast knows I take pride in my promptness. But it was out of my hands this time. And who was along for the ride? Bloom Farm CBD. And their beautifully designed, self-charging, compact, lightweight mini vape pen. Someone cut in front of me while I was climbing the broken escalator to the metro? Bloom Farms was there. And that sequoia mint flavor? Mm, it was like a breath of fresh air. Bloom Farms CBD. When it comes to sponsors on Independent Minded, you know how I roll. I only get behind clients who get behind me. Now get your mind out of the gutter and get yourself to bloomfarmcbd.com. Bloom Farms is a one-for-one company, which means your 20% off order is going to feed someone in need. So everyone is winning here, especially me. Bloomfarmscbd.com, promo code BALDFREAK at checkout. Get your 20% off. I've got a framed promo still of Bill Paxton as Hudson and Aliens hanging in my home recording studio. It's just one of my quirky things in my quirky creator space. Hanging next to my beloved Paxton, tour posters from Nine Inch Nails and Metallica. Two pillars in my life, from my teenage years all the way up till now. Those are my bands. Sure, I have more, but those two are definitely Mount Rushmore material. Royalty in the Ronnie Scalzo Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Eric Astor and Furnace Record Pressing manufacture all of Metallica and Nine Inch Nails albums, not to mention other huge heritage artists like them. Any more than casual fan of either band knows that guys like Lars Ulrich and Trent Reznor are who they are because of their commitment to putting together top-notch product for their fans. So the fact that my heroes and their people work with Furnace is already a good hint that Eric Astor is going to be a cool dude. And so I trek to Furnace's still pretty brand new 50,000 square foot facility in Alexandria, Virginia, to meet up with the man in charge for episode 106 of the Independent Minded Podcast. It's after hours and Eric is pretty much alone in the space. Just him and all the records. It was yummy, delicious records. I see a lot of bands I recognize hanging on the walls inside Furnace. And if you're a guy like me, a music super fan, a rock and roll savant, an audio anthropologist, this place is a huge shrine, dig it? I'm home, man. I could die here. Just bury me in there with all the paper sleeves and the shrink wrap. Eric Astor has been DIYing it for over 20 years. He probably has a lot to teach a guy like me. But I've only got an hour of his time, so I just let him roll. Why did the biggest acts in the world seek him out? How did a punk rock kid from Tempe, Arizona wind up in a huge warehouse in Arlington? What does raising chickens have to do with the vinyl listening experience? All this and more shall be revealed. After the interview, Eric sends me home with an armful of records from my favorite bands. He drives me to the nearest train. He doesn't have to do all that, but he does. And like a seven-year-old girl meeting Taylor Swift backstage, I instantly become a fan for life. And in the music industry, now more than ever, sharing is caring. 
I come home from my interview with Eric and I tear my studio apart, transplanting my beanbag to its proper place for optimal vinyl consumption. I set my turntable on its own table, away from everything else. I rewire my speakers. I place Kill 'em All on the platter, I turn the volume to 11, and I understand. For me to love anything at this point in my life, this level of commitment is necessary. Seven years ago, I lost 2,000 records at once. I'm still not over it. I'll never be over it. I've had to learn to love again. And I think my conversation with Eric Astor finally nudges me over the edge. Oh! <laughs> Eric and I talk about pressing records, connecting with people, and losing his mind in all the madness. Right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do. I'm sitting in the office of Eric Astor, the CEO of, is it Furnace Record? What is the official Furnace title? Record Pressing. It wasn't always that, though. We used to go under Furnace Manufacturing. Right. And then we decided to beat our customers uh, over the head with our name mm. and make it really plain and obvious. And you started quarter of a century ago, or almost a quarter yeah, of a century ago. Yeah. Uh, holy shit. 20. Did I just remind you of that? <laughs> 23 years ago, yeah. 96. 96. Doing the math on that. How do you get started doing this? Well, when I was a kid, I was into punk rock, and I was in a pretty crappy band, and no one wanted to put our record out, so I decided to put it out. I started a record label, and then you know I had some other friends that were in bands locally in Arizona, and so I put out a couple records from you know other bands that I knew. Um, we were making a lot of T-shirts, and I was selling stuff through Maximum Rock and Roll and other punk fanzines and stuff. And then I moved out to the East Coast. I started another record label called Art Monk Construction, which is a lot of like some DC bands and some other kind of like quote unquote screamo bands before that was a term, right? We kind of patterned ourselves behind other uh, labels that we had looked up to. And then we said we need better distribution. So we started a distribution company and that really wasn't my thing. So my business partner at the time decided he wanted to bail. I didn't really want to do it by myself. So we sold the distribution company. But while I was running the distribution company, I was helping people manufacture CDs and vinyl. And back then it was like page maker one, you know, no one knew how to do computer graphics. So I knew how to do that. I was setting up graphics and I was scheduling manufacturing because I was doing that for my label. So I turned that into a furnace and pretty much have run it ever since. So at first it was kind of a broker business. We were doing duplication in-house and we were doing other assembly in-house. And then in 2008, when vinyl, you know, started to creep back into everyone's consciousness, uh, we were approached by, a, you know, a few customers that wanted really high quality vinyl. And there was only one plant in the United States at that time that was producing audiophile quality vinyl. So we went to Germany and partnered with a company there that has been around since 1948, and they make really nice quality records. So we became their affiliate in the U.S., and then uh, we built that up. We actually started building new equipment over there. We were the first company to actually make brand new automated presses since like the early 80s. So we own five presses in Germany, and we found that the demand for high-quality vinyl was greater than we could actually make 
over in Germany. We were making records there. We were shipping them to the United States. We were packaging them here and then shipping out to the labels and the dis distribution companies. So we decided to actually build our own pressing plant in addition to the records that we were making in Germany. So, you know, now we have 12 operating presses here. We have another two that are going to come online, uh, hopefully by the end of the year. So we press and assemble and package and ship records out of Alexandria, Virginia. Now you're completely blowing my mind here. I started my own record label in 2005 in an apartment in Jersey City, New Jersey. I made a decent amount of money off of some licensing deals through a band that I was in. And I took that money and that became the collateral for my label. It soon turned into a house that I had purchased on Staten Island, New York, because I needed more space. I hired a couple of like pothead stoner metal kids to come put shit in envelopes and maintain the postage meter and, and yeah. you know, and do shit like that. But I'm standing in a 50,000 square foot <laughs> record pressing facility. So what did I do wrong? No, what did you do right? right? No, what did you do right? <laughs> what do you mean? What have I done right? Dude, the, the bigger the, the place, the more problems. But, you know, it, it's like um, I'm kind of a restless guy. So, uh, you know, I just figure anything's possible. And then, you know, you get over your head. For a while and then you figure it out and then it becomes easier and then you get bored and then you just keep on doing that and beating your head against the wall until you go insane but no it's a it's a good journey you know it keeps me uh, out of trouble well this is a beautiful facility man i mean the whole idea of running my own record label as i'm sure it was yours at the time was like i'm in control i get to make the rules i took cues from my idols at the time guys like trent reznor who started nothing records guys like mike patton who, who took the faith no more money to start ipecac and I just wanted my little space in the, in the stratosphere to do my thing. The fact that you started this, you're talking like 1996, like how do you even have the foresight to think, oh, well, I'll press vinyl. I read something that you basically like went to Mexico and got the machinery and you brought it to this area. Is that well, we, accurate? Yeah, we, um, when we decided that we wanted to start a pressing plant, we were contacted by a gentleman down in Mexico City whose father had either run the presses or owned the pressing plant and they had basically put him into a storage shed for years and years and years and uh, luckily it's pretty dry down there so there wasn't too much rust but a um, few companies that have popped up that are now making new machines but this is before that was happening so if you wanted to start a pressing plant you had to go find these old relics and refurbish them so that's what we did we got them out of mexico city and then we had to send them over to the uk we had someone working on them there and then we brought them back here and we've been working on them for another year just you know getting all the little you know they all have personalities so you know trying to get them in line and there's just little things that are kind of unique to each machine and i think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of big companies that look at vinyl record pressing and they're like "Fuck that man i'm not going to do that because they you know you set up a cd or dvd manufacturing line as an example like the shit runs right a computer pretty much quality controls everything you know you basically say i need how many widgets can i get out of this thing in a in, a, in an hour <laughs> and then you can do your math here it's like every record whether it, it depends on who cut it who plated it what machine it's on what pvc you're using like what the temperature is uh, in the room what the humidity is many variables yeah it's it's maddening <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have a client that wants i want a thousand records but 200 of each different color and then each different color has a different melting point it reacts differently to the auger inside of the extruder i can go on and on about the stuff that, that yeah, is blood's maddening right and uh <laughs> so it is the hardest thing i've i've ever done 
And it's the most maddening thing that I think anyone that wants to go insane, you should start a pressing plant because <laughs> you just, it, 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 I like having some control and some predictability. And this business is basically out of your control and not predictable. So it's a really good match for me and my personality. I was going to say, so where's the reward? When do you take the time to pat yourself on the back and look around and say, wow, look around. I mean, I'm looking at a Metallica Kill em All plaque on your wall here. I mean, these are big, you know, Tom Petty, Flight of the Concords. I'm sure there've been plenty of projects that you've been behind where you've been like super stoked as a music fan to be like, wow, I'm making such and such band's albums. I think that's what keeps me interested is, you know, when I was young and a small label like the one I ran would go to a pressing plant, you kind of got thrown to the back of the line. So we're trying to take care of, you know, independent artists um, that have kind of get shafted over the last, you know, 10 or 12 years of this whole vinyl revival, but also working with, you know, we press almost all the Metallica stuff that you see out there. And we have good relationships with, you know, management companies and uh, record labels that are, are, you know, nice enough and uh, to trust us with their work. And we pretty much, Oh, our success to you know folks that that kind of trusted us, and I think we earn their trust. But we work our ass off. We're never not working, you know. So yeah, when you press something like a, we did a Jeff Buckley Grace pressing, which nice. you know, great record. I love. Um, we press for Discord Records down the street. Awesome. And I've obviously been a big fan ever since I was a, a young kid. As so a punk kid, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I think that's the really exciting stuff is, is being able to connect with people you've known for a long time, press their records, have fun and 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 then also just get the feedback. You know, we we, we have hundreds of projects that we're working on all the time at any one time, I should say. And so like when someone actually sends a message saying, hey, man, good job. It's it's like, oh, yeah, cool. That's what we're doing it for. You know, it's a lot of work, but at least we're making something that brings joy to people's lives. How many employees do you have on site? We have, let me just say, over 65. Okay, that's a very specific number to go over or under. Yeah. Uh, How do you vet these employees? I mean, this is a very specific sort of skill set, I would imagine. I mean, there are different facets of the industry that you have to deal with. But uh, as far as the actual manufacturing of the records, there's only a very small percentage of people in the world who know how to do this sort of thing. Well, if they're normal and they expect, like, normal predictable like we just literally they the just door. go go out the door <laughs> so you have to be a little crazy you have to have you know some patience you have to have passion you know our mission statement is quality at scale right so we could press records all day long that people would probably be fine with but we have very high standards our quality has to be you know very very high and that's not just for our customers it's for me you know because i I hate listening to records that have lots of noise and ticks and high uh, noise floor and all that stuff. It's just like, that's not what I would want to listen to. So that's not what we would press. So the people that stick around, that last and that thrive in that kind of situation are the people that are going to be the best at it in the world. You know, so for every, I'd say two or three press operators we hire, like we might get one that sticks around because it's hard, it's hot, it's um, frustrating. You know, so we have pressing folks. We have people that listen to records all day, which isn't as glamorous as you think it is. We have people that literally punch the holes, the labels out of records to regrind the PVC. We have assembly people that are looking at the records, sleeving the records. We have a whole packaging department that's, you know, taking the records, putting them into jackets, box sets, whatever it is. We have a whole 
two or three shrink wrap lines. We've got a whole inventory department. We have sales, we have customer service, we have design. So yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. We have an HR manager that helps quite a bit. She's great. So we have a great team of people that are certainly not here to have an easy job, but are passionate about what they do. And you know, it's not like we're saving anyone's lives or anything, but it's like, you know, people rely on us. It makes the music world go around. I know this is a very delicate process. I'm sure there are times when things get screwed up. When that happens, how much does that set you back? Anything from a typo to something that I couldn't even begin to understand as far as the actual pressing of the record goes. Yeah, I think that the biggest, you know, for instance, last week we had a water main break, right? So we couldn't press records for three days. Then we had to get all of our systems, you know, because we have cold water, we have steam, we have hydraulics, we have all these different utilities that go into the press, the press room to make records. So once that happens, then you have to normalize and retest everything. So all of a sudden, you know, you lose three days of, of manufacturing and it basically pushes everything out three days and you have people that have a street date or whatever and if i could i'd press records all day long and overnight but you know you also have can't get electrocuted right you know so you have to, you can't you know and we've had issues with other things like screws and the extruders breaking and um if you're not get, willing to get people, electrocuted i don't know how you know, know. passionate you really are about this we've area. had you know people get hurt and burned and electrocuted i mean it's a fucking brutal I mean, we're totally OSHA standard. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I walked like, into this facility like in awe and <laughs> you're making it seem it's so daunting in a lot of so ways. So when we say blood, sweat and tears go into vinyl, it's literal. But it's no, it's not that bad. <laughs> but it can be. Obviously, we send out test pressings. People get proofs. So usually if there's something wrong, it's, it's usually like, you know, oh, shit, we got backed up for three days and, you know, stuff's going to ship late. Or someone wanted this crazy color vinyl and, you know, guess what? You really can't blend those colors together and make it look good. So what are we going to do now? Or, you know, someone wants 300 records. So we make a set of stampers and the stampers break, you know, because that's what happens when you have a hundred tons of pressure and a bunch of heat, sometimes metal, thin metal cracks. So all of a sudden, you know, got to go order another set of stampers that takes a week. And then you're sitting there going, all right, now I've pushed this guy back a week. And that's why we are investing so much money into like a, a database scheduling system that's dynamic. And we're trying to make order out of disorder. But, you know, it happens all the time in the vinyl world that doesn't happen if you're printing on a piece of paper or making a CD because it's more of a craft than a widget. You started a time where the CD era was kind of in full bloom. And then, you know, you and I both know and, and the world knows that we went to digital. That's a whole separate conversation about you know, the quality versus the quality that you get out of vinyl and to a lesser extent CDs. And then at some point after the music industry crashed, Vinyl made this huge comeback. What are your reactions to how the industry looks now? There's articles that I'm reading about how vinyl is overtaking CDs now and is kind of the premier physical product out there for music. Well, I've said this before. I think for a lot of people, vinyl never went away. So everyone's like, oh, vinyl died and it came back. Well, no, it just, was, it just wasn't on everyone's radar. What I think has happened, at least I, I could just speak for myself, but Everyone remembers Napster, and then everyone decided they were going to rip their CD collection onto a hard drive. And then everything became a lot less special because you no longer like went to your CD collection or your record collection and picked what you're going to listen to that day. It just became like you had a ton of files on a hard drive somewhere. 
there's nothing special about taking it out, looking at the packaging. It just became like this little tiny image on a screen on an iPad or iPod or whatever the f you used. And then nothing was cool. Like, like no one collected that. Shit. You know, I think for people that are new to vinyl and they pick up a record and it's like this labor of love that someone, you know, there's like weird embossing and personality that's in the packaging and you can actually read the liner notes and the lyrics and stuff. That package is part of the expression of the artist, right? It's collectible. It's kind of cool to look at. And for those people that have a system that you can hear it, the quality of the music and the experience is way above anything. I mean, yeah, you can get 24-bit wave files that sound really good, but your brain has to process digital music. It's very fatiguing for your brain. We don't have to process zeros and ones into music. Like we actually just listen to analog. So that's why we press a really good record too, because we don't want it just to be like, oh, someone buys a record, opens it cool and plays it once and that's it. Like the records that we press, we expect people to play all the time, right? So it has to be really high quality. People collect all kinds of shit and music's one of them. So you got that segment, um, you got- the Hoarders. Yeah, you got, you got you know, young and old hoarders, different ho types of hoarders. Are there young hoarders? That's my concern is that... Do we have millennial hoarders? Right. The next generation appreciate the medium in the way that we do and the way that people older than us do. I guess the problem is that if our economy becomes so stratified that millennials can't buy a house and afford to put their shit places, maybe hoarding becomes a problem for the wealthy only. That's a good point. That's Let's a good point. Let's get deep. But uh, no, I don't know. But um, I saw some demographic numbers recently where the split amongst age groups is almost a third young, third middle aged, 30s, 40s, and a third older. It's like 45% women. Wow. Yeah. So Thank it's, you, ladies. it's not as, it used to be a bunch of fat guys in the basement old guys, right? That was the vinyl, like 2008, there's a lot of reissues of the 60s crowd stuff, which is iconic, classic, evergreen music. You know, it's always going to be good. But now we're pressing, you know, stuff from new artists that traditionally wouldn't be quote unquote vinyl centric and it sells. So there's someone out there that that's buying it. And um, that's good for everyone because artists make money off vinyl. They don't really make money on streams. Um, Tell me about it. You know, again, I think it's it's a way for them to express themselves. So it's a pretty diversified group of people that are buying and selling vinyl. Now, I recognize that I'm an anomaly, but let me give you the Cliff's Notes version of my relationship to records. I grew up in New York City. My dad had the big stereo system in the basement. You know, he made his own speakers. He had a really nice turntable. And that was my introduction to music. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Led Zeppelin IV, all the Beatles albums. Elton John, Billy Joel, you name it. Basically, you know, my parents were baby boomers and my dad, that was his thing. He'd come home from work and he'd blast music out of his basement and I just dove headfirst into it as a kid. Then I'm in college, now I'm my own man. Now I'm into a lot of the bands that I see around me on the walls here. I had probably had about 2,000 records that drowned in a hurricane and it was very difficult for me to go home again. It hasn't been in, literally until the past, I'd say, six to seven months that I bought another turntable and I started, I wouldn't say collecting records because I probably only have about 20 now, but I decided, you know what, let me get the classics. Let me get Talking Heads Remain in Light. Let me get Prince Purple Rain. 
let me get the albums that were meant to be heard on a turntable with that sonic sound that you and people like you always qualify it as better. And, and I personally do hear the difference, but that's like a huge selling point for records. I am not an expert on this subject. I go down into my basement. I have a nice PA system. I have a nice turntable. I put Harry Nilsson, Nilsson Smilson on, and I hear the cracks and the pops, and I'm like, oh, that's great. But I'm wondering to myself at the same time, there's a little bitty part of me that's wondering to myself, is this better? Well, let me ask you this. If you didn't have a turntable and you weren't actively listening to that record, would you listen to that whole record? Or would you be like, oh, I've got this iPod with, or my phone that has a gazillion, basically everything now, right? Spotify, Apple Music. You're right. You have everything. Are you going to go and, and choose that one record? That's good. Probably shame not, me, right? Shame me. You're right. The point so, being so that part right, of it's... it is this. Slow the f*** down, right? <laughs> you go grab the record. You're purposeful. Like, you know, you talk about like, being present and purposeful and like you right. grab a record, There's take it out of the sleeve, it. take it out, you know, you put it on, you clean it, you put it on. You're going to listen to half of the record. And I have a manual turntable, as most people do. It doesn't pick up the tone arm at the end of the record. So you're not going to let that thing just like, you're not going to go out to the garage for a couple hours. You're probably going to sit there in the chair, maybe, you know, smoke some weed or, you know, have a glass of wine oh, or beer or whatever. And you're going to listen to a record and you're probably going to like look at it Right. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know this dude played drums on this record. Yeah. Like, you're not going to do that with your phone. I guarantee it. So, yeah, you might spend a couple grand putting together a nice listening system, but you're not going to listen to it the same way you would with a huge hard drive connected to a freaking boring, like glowing blue system that's just like, where's it coming from? I don't know, but look at my laptop. It's got the little two inch square. Like, no, no, it's a different experience. So, it might not be better, but it's different. And I would argue that it makes you present for the listening of music that digital does not do. I mean, I got a nice setup, right? I helped design that turntable over there for Shinola. Beautiful turntable. Cool. But I listen to shit on my, uh, I got a little DAC, so I'm like playing it. And I listen to that as much as I do the turntable because sometimes I just want to listen to Lizzo because Lizzo's awesome, right? And I don't have the record yet because it's delayed. But I also want to just chill out. I'll listen to like a focus music, but I don't give a shit about any of those bands. They're like all these weird sounds with no lyrics just so I can stay focused. But it's music. It's good. There's not an either or. It's like I listen to music and when I'm walking around, I listen to music here digitally and on my turntable. But at home, like I only listen to records because like I've got so many records to play and it's fun. And I got my little beanbag. And it's the only time in, in my whole life that I can literally sit down and focus on one thing. Mountain biking is another thing, right? You, you don't pay attention, you'll die. But it's the one thing I can sit down, relax, listen to music. I listen to the Galactic record. That's a great record. Um, I listen to an old Jimi Hendrix record. Um, I listen to one of the new Beatles reissues. And it's like, oh, shit, I can't believe they recorded that. You know, and then I pull out the other record. I'm like, oh, you know, because you have Nerd to re time. remember, like, Oh yeah, they recorded so much shit within this amount of time and it's all amazing. And you're like, oh, they recorded this in 67 and this one came out in 68. Yeah, they were putting four right? records out a year. Yeah, exactly. it's just insane. You know, so like <laughs> then you get down in that rabbit hole and you're having fun, you're looking at stuff, and before you know it, your room's a total mess because you have records all over the place. And that's the only time I have a chance to actually like dig into music. Everything else, it's kind of background noise. So we don't have to get in an argument what sounds better. 
or oh, I'm not trying to argue. Yeah, I'm, just... I'm just saying, like people that are listening, like you know, you, you're gonna you get all the comments like uh, technically nerd, nerd, nerd. Like it doesn't. It's not about that. It's not about the you know. If you want to just hang out with your ones and zeros, that's totally cool. I'm just saying, like this is different. This is like the chickens. I chase the chickens around. They have eggs. I go grab them. I bring them in. I have a nice egg sandwich versus like going down to Giant and getting your corporate eggs that are coming off of like, you know, these machine chickens, like a conveyor belt. It's a different experience, right? Like I know my chickens. I know my chickens aren't getting kicked by some dude. I know that they're eating good food, not plastic. Like I know where my chickens come from. Like it's a different experience. That food, I don't know. I'm getting deep, deep into the weeds, but I know where it comes from. It's comfortable. I love it. And like, you know, that's vinyl. It's like, it's like a, it's like a whole different world. It's only here on the Independent Minded Podcast that you'd hear someone compare the vinyl listening experience to chickens. But that and is... It doesn't make any sense, but it makes no, sense to me. it makes total me. sense to me. Yeah. And it's exactly the answer that I was hoping that you would give me, Eric. So I appreciate that. I thank you for the time. This is an amazing facility, and I look forward to seeing the rest of it. And uh, good luck in uh, your future platings. And I don't... You know, I'm going to have to, like, well, go on. Well, let's go. Let's go All right, yeah, teach me some things. Thanks. Got to give a big thanks to Eric at Furnace for the wisdom, the time, the ride, and the goodies. John Myers of the Vinyl District for hooking us up. Do John and I a solid. Take the Vinyl District's Record Store Finder app for a spin. Go to the App Store on your wireless doohickey and download it. It's free, it's GPS supported, and it will take you to the treasure. And you can check out the latest episodes of Independent Minded and other cool music nerd stuff at thevinyldistrict.com. Find out more about the podcast and the new music at baldfreak.com. Follow on social at baldfreakmusic. Subscribe, listen to archived episodes of Independent Minded on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and iFartRadio. Oh, excuse me. Thanks once again to this episode's sponsor, Bloom Farms CBD. It could be your last chance to get 20% off your order at checkout at bloomfarmscbd.com. All you need is the promo code. It's Bald Freak, one word, Bald Freak, top quality, medically tested, safe CBD tinctures and mini vape pens for the casual imbiber or for the pro. CBD's been in the news. It's new. It's hip. The chicks dig it. Find out more about what you're putting in your body at bloomfarmscbd.com. I can tell you all about it, but seeing and sampling is believing. Hit the source, bruh. And while you're there, 20% off your order at checkout with the promo code Bald Freak. That's me. All right. I'm going to go listen to some records. Okay, fine. Then let's just say they're widgets. What's a widget? It's a fictional product. It doesn't matter. <laughs>